So, so Donald preached a really good message last week about the river of the Holy Spirit and, and learning the flow in the Spirit. And so we're, we're continuing this week. I'm going to teach on the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody excited about that? And I don't know about you, but gift, gifts are awesome, right? Some of y'all, that's your love language. You know what I mean? Like you want a gift. And it's so interesting to me that something called a gift has become one of the most controversial subjects in the church. But nevertheless, we're going we're gonna to go after this. We're going to talk about it because it is a very good thing. Amen? So I, I want to read something actually that's not what I had planned on reading, but I just feel like reading this and then let's, let's pray into it and then we'll go from there. But it starts out in Numbers chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 24. But after I read this and we, we pray, I'm not going to say much about it. I'm going to go over to 1 Corinthians 12 and we're just going to hang out there for the rest of the time. Um, so Numbers 11, beginning at verse 24, it says... So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened, when the spirit rested upon them, that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And when me and Andrea have twins, we're going to name them that, by the way. Eldad and Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out of the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now, see, this is like, this, some, some people are this way. And so Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said to them, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And then Moses said to him, are you, are you jealous for my sake? He said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You see his heart, Moses is leading this people and his heart is, he says, are you jealous for my sake because other people are operating under the anointing and under the Spirit of God? He said, don't be jealous for my sake. He said, oh, that all of the Lord's people were prophets. Then I wouldn't have so much pressure upon myself to, to, to perform and make sure that the people are doing what they need to be doing. But if the Spirit that is upon me comes on a group and on a body of people, then all of a sudden there is, there is an increase of that anointing and an empowerment now for the church to become what it was supposed to be in the first place. He said, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that God would put His Spirit upon all people. Because here's what I believe. I believe that for, for even in my own life, one of the things, I've got people, you know, that send me messages. As a pastor, you get a lot of questions, you get a lot of messages. And we, we kind of got a running joke going with some of them because they say they used, up their, they used up all their pastor minutes. And I say, well, you can get on that unlimited anytime plan. And they say, well, what's it going to cost you? And I said, it's going to cost you your very soul. Amen? Y'all didn't laugh at all. That was terrible. <laughs> it's going to cost you your very soul if you're going to get... But no, but I, lo- I love answering questions. I love when people ask me questions. I lo- that's just part of, part of who I am. Uh, I seek things out. I like to discover truth, and I don't have all the truth, but I love to talk about it, so I love when people ask me questions. Gifts of the Spirit is probably one of the main things that people really ask a lot of questions about. But, I, but I'll say this, that, that as far as the gifts of the Spirit go... Most of the time, it's as if we're on the defensive, like we're trying to prove that gifts are still for today. And what I'm hearing God saying right now is is that He's saying, look, you've spent enough time attempting to prove and going through Scripture that the gifts are for today. And what I want you to do is now just establish yourself in the fact that they are true. And anybody who resists that truth, well, then just let them resist that truth. But establish yourself in the fact that I want to use you as a body corporately in the gifts of the Spirit, in the power of God. And once you establish yourself in that, now enter into a season where you begin to seek that and demonstrate it in truth and in power. Amen? So I believe, I believe we need to pray this prayer over our church that, oh, oh, that all of the Lord's people would become prophets. Oh, that all of the Lord's people would begin to hear His voice and have a word from God and be able to speak a word in due season to the people that are weary, that need strength, that need to hear from the Lord, and that every single one of us corporately would enter into what we truly are, and that's the body of Christ. Everybody in this church and that is a part of the body of Christ should be operating 
in the gifts of the Spirit because God's not called just one man or one leader to be used by Him. He's called all of us. Amen? And so let's pray together right fast before we get into this sermon. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would stir up fire in our hearts and a hunger in our hearts because more than anything, Jesus, we want to know you. We don't want gifts for gifts' sake. But what we believe is that the gifts of the Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes so that we might see you, see who you truly are, and so that your redemption, God, your salvation would be enforced and would happen in people's lives. And so, God, we're asking right now for an outpouring of your Spirit in whatever way that looks like. But, God, that you would fill your people, that your Spirit would come upon all of your people And that all of your people would become prophets in that sense. That they would all hear your voice, God. That they would all speak on your behalf. And that we as a church body would be empowered, Lord God, to do your ministry and to do your will in the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 12, we'll go there in just a minute. But this is the chapter where the gifts of the Spirit are listed. And this is also the chapter where God begins to say that we are a body. And he basically says, look, the, all the body parts are significant. You can't, just say, uh, you can't just say, well, I don't really need the hand or I don't really need the foot. We're all necessary for the body to operate. And God does not want his power and his anointing to be on just one or two men. He wants his anointing, he wants his spirit to be on the entire body. And I believe that the gifts of the spirit were never made for one individual. They were made for a corporate body. You believe that? And so he wants his spirit to rest upon all of us. Now, when we're getting into this thing, here's the truth, is that the the primary, you even see this on billboards when you go driving down the road, the the main teaching of Christianity is what? It's Jesus saves. You believe that? Y'all seen signs that say Jesus saves. My question is, is what does he save us from? Because what what happens is oftentimes that statement becomes this pious cliche and we just say, well, Jesus saves and we don't really understand the fullness of what he saves us from because what we've come to believe is that salvation and getting saved just means that uh, you're going to get saved and you get a ticket to heaven and you won't go to hell when you die. But for the rest of your time here on earth, you're going to have to live a defeated, sick, unhealthy, broken, messed up life and you're going to be miserable believing that when you die, everything's going to be perfect. But on the earth now, why everything's terrible, you're doing all you can to stay alive as long as possible. I mean, that's just weird, isn't it? If, if the Christian life is just about going to heaven and all we get saved from is hell, then this is a, it's a really weird thing because most of us do everything we can to stay here on the earth as long as we possibly can. Isn't that interesting? It's like we're just waiting on this all to be over. But see, Jesus came that we would be saved from sin and all of its effects, from, from Satan and all of his power and everything that the effects of sin brought into humanity. This is sickness, this is disease, this is brokenness, this is sin. This is, this is just uh, this purposelessness, this, these disoriented emotions and depression and fear and shame that so dominates people's lives. And I can tell you this, people can hear a gospel message and they can truly repent and give their life to Jesus and put faith in Him and be saved in the sense that they're going to heaven when they die, when they die but still really need a whole lot of help for this journey to walk a victorious life. And this is where the gifts of the Spirit come into play because Jesus, when He demonstrated salvation, not one time did He simply just teach a, a message or a doctrine and not reveal any true power. Not one time did he just teach and then not heal anybody. Not one time did he just teach and then not give a word from God to somebody that was powerful and supernatural and awaken that person's mind and that group of people to the reality of the kingdom of God that was now at hand. Now here's the issue is that that when we think about all these things, we begin to understand, especially in the Old Testament and Jesus' life, when he looked at a person, he saw the person not just as a spirit that needed a ticket to heaven, but as a whole individual, body, soul, and spirit that needed to be healed physically, redeemed mentally, and saved spiritually. His salvation was not just for the spirit, but it was for the soul and for the physical body. And he said, I am looking to destroy the works of Satan that has broken down humanity physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually. 
And I'm telling you, when he operated to bring healing, you know what he was operating in. He was operating in what the Bible calls the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are tools that are given to us as the body of Christ to carry out Jesus' full work of salvation in the earth. Amen? These are the tools that he gives us. And they're gifts. They're good things. I don't know about you, but on Christmas morning, it's fun, isn't it? It's exciting. Shouldn't be arguing over who gets what gift. We should just be excited that there's gifts under the tree. Right? And so we're, we're dealing with these things. And here, here's the issue is that, is that Jesus' message was mostly preached in the works that he did. In restoring people. Restoring to people all that they had lost. And so... It was not just a doctrine or a teaching, but it was literally the power of God on his life to bring redemption in a practical and a real way. It was not just a theology. It was not just a doctrine. It was not just a teaching. There was a, there's a guy I was reading this book the other day. This guy named Ramsey McMullen. He, he's a professor at Yale University or was a professor. And listen, he's a history teacher. I don't even think he's a Christian. But he studies history, and here's what he wrote down. I like this. He said, the reason that pagans accepted Christianity was not primarily doctrine, which is the emphasis of the church today, but a very simple encounter with power. Our God is more powerful than your gods, the demonic forces that hold you down, and early Christians emphasized healing and exorcism as the chief instruments of conversion and explosive growth that, that took place. So they emphasized healing and exorcisms as a way to grow the church. Think about that for a minute. Because the way we emphasize growing the church today is good coffee, a relevant atmosphere. Don't upset anybody too much. When you preach, make sure you go easy on people. And we emphasize that as a church growth model. And the reason we emphasize that is because we believe that's a way to get more people to come to church. But at the end of the day, what it is is it's a cop-out because we can't get the church to actually seek God for the power that He paid for us to have. So we say, well, we're not going to actually seek God for the power and believe in the power and see God do miracles in our midst and see God heal people and see God set people free from drugs and alcohol and bondage. We're not willing to seek God for that. So what we need to do is make church look real good, make it be real comfortable and supply plenty of good coffee and then maybe more people will come to church. Yeah, that's good preaching. I'll shout me down. Nobody wants to hear that either. I know that even sounds a little bit harsh, but it's the truth. It's the reality. At the end of the day, the body of Christ is no longer willing to do what the early disciples did. When they knew that Jesus was going to give them the power that was upon his life, they went to an upper room and they prayed ten days. The Bible says in one translation, gripped with one passion interceding night and day. Because they wanted that promise that God gave them, that the Spirit of the Lord was going to come upon them. And the same works that Jesus did, they were going to do also. And even greater works than these were they going to do. Because he went to the Father, and now they were going to be his body in the earth. Come on, somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but I hunger for this. I hunger for this. And you say, well, you know, I don't know, Clay. We've not really experienced that. That's one of the big issues today is we end up building doctrines around our experiences. Just because you haven't seen anybody healed doesn't mean you have the right to teach that healing no longer happens. Just because you witness to somebody and they don't get saved doesn't mean that God still doesn't move. Just because you've not seen a miracle does not mean that you get to contradict all of Scripture that reveals God as a miracle-working God and say, well, miracles no longer work today. Just because you haven't spoken in tongues does not mean you get to judge those who have spoken in tongues. See, the issue is, and look, I, I go to seminary school, right? And it's got its good things, it's got its bad things. The bad thing that I notice in it is a, a lot of people end up spending so much time on doctrine and theology and they will turn what was meant to be an experience into an argument. Let me put it to you like this. We don't just study the Bible so we can have knowledge about God. We study the Bible to have an encounter with God. If, every, if everything I say, I could read the Bible, I could study the Scriptures from front to back, I can quote you Scripture from front to back. If all of that stuff does not lead me into an encounter with a living God, it is all for nothing. 
And this is what the scripture taught us. Matter of fact, Paul, he went and preached at a place called Mars Hill where there were a bunch of intellectuals in the book of Acts. And he went and he tried to preach an intellectual message. And for the most part, nobody got saved. And he got on the boat. He's going over to Corinth. And while he's on the boat, he's feeling terrible because he's like, boys, I preached the best message ever. You know what I'm saying? Like I communicated perfectly. I read Andy Stanley's book. I knew exactly how to communicate it. Like I knew exactly what I should say that was going to be just right. And they didn't receive it. So you know what he said? He said, when I went to Corinth, he said, I, was, I determined among you all not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, I was with you in much fear and trembling. And he said, but my teaching and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do not let your faith rest in what a theologian says to be true. Let your faith rest in the power of God. That's what he's teaching. I was in a class recently in my seminary school. We were studying through the book of Mark, and, you know, there's a lot of exorcisms. And so we got in a discussion on here about, you know, whether or not these things still happened or not. I was like, well, either I'm insane or it still happens because I've seen it several times. And so then this guy gets on there, and he, he begins to come up with this big argument about, well, I don't understand why Paul doesn't mention it in any of his letters and why the gift of exorcisms wasn't in, in, in the list of the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, well, we know for one thing that in Acts 16, Paul did set a woman free from a demonic spirit specifically. And also, we, we know that he listed discerning of spirits as a gift because that, that still, that was still functioning. That was still happening. People were still getting set free from the demonic. But here's the thing. People will argue all day, but the thing is they don't have an experience. What is it, Donald, they say that a man, a man with, with, with an argument is never at the mercy of a man with, that, with, with an experience. You have an experience. See, you, you came too late to tell me that gifts of the Spirit are not happening. I've already experienced too many of them. So that being said, let's move in to this because here's the thing. The New Testament standard is far higher than what we currently experience. Could you agree with that with me? If you read the Bible, you read the New Testament, you're like, okay, they're doing more stuff than we do. That's just a given. Now, we could say, well, it just ain't like it used to be. Or we could say, no, they actually sought God in a way that we're not actually seeking God. And they had breakthrough and they had an anointing and a power that they walked in because it was a lifestyle for them. It wasn't something they did on Sunday. It was a life. And they had totally laid down their lives to say, God, I want you, Jesus. I want everything you have. And I'm, I'm surrendered to the kingdom of God invading this earth. And so because they had that heart... Something begin to break loose. And I'm telling you, I'm just going to pr- go ahead and preach with a little bit of fire this morning, hoping that it'll, it'll kindle something in us. Amen? Y'all with me? All right. Yeah, give me one every now and then, Brian. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1. I got to get into this, right? So he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away by these, it says, dumb idols. Uh, The word there is literally voiceless. It's the same word for voice where Jesus actually says, my sheep hear my voice, and it's just got a no on the front of it. No voice. He said, you were carried away to these idols that had no voice. Think about that. You were carried away to these idols that were voiceless, however you were led, and therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. Now, he says, concerning these spiritual gifts, brethren, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And here's here's the big, big issue, is that most churches today are actually making a conscious decision to ignore spiritual gifts. And, and there's been so many doctrines, so many religious strongholds against it, that, that rather than contending like we're doing, and preaching these things, and teaching these things, and, 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 and pursuing God for these gifts so that we can carry out our mission, people just ignore it because there's so much controversy involved in it. And they just ignore it. And not only that, most people are just, there's a lot of people that come into church. And one of the reasons that we try to preach through these uh, every so often is because we have new people coming to the church. And nine times out of ten, how many of y'all, you've actually been to other churches where they actually teach on spiritual gifts a lot? Got one. So they are out there. They are out there. I've been to one myself, right? They are out there, but it's very rare. 
Because a lot of times they just ignore them, and what happens is people are ignorant. And that doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means that they haven't been taught. Either they haven't been taught, or they've been taught something wrongly, wrong about it. And so people choose to ignore them. But here's the issue. He says, when they ignored them, they, were, they used to be led away and carried away by these voiceless idols. So what Paul is trying to make the point of here is that God has a voice. You believe that? You know, there's, there's actually an attack now today against pastors and leaders or anybody that would say, God spoke to me. They just say, well, no, God doesn't speak like that anymore. God doesn't speak like that, and that's heresy, and you shouldn't say that. Well, listen, if God doesn't speak to us, I don't know what we're going to do, folks. People say, well, you, God speaks to you. You're weird. Well, if he doesn't speak to you, I think you're weird. I know that you say, well, that may, that's a little mean. No, they're being mean. We're getting a little fight here, right? <laughs> and we don't, we don't want to get into arguments, right? We want, we want to stay in the basis of love. But here's the thing. I believe that, the, that these things are worth contending for. I believe they're worth standing for. I believe they're worth pursuing. And we pursue them in love, and when people put up resistance, we, we bless them anyway, we love them anyway, we don't get into arguments over these things. That's not the issue, because the argument itself is what Satan is using as a distraction to the church from actually getting into what they have to do. So let's just set the argument aside, because that's Satan's tactic to get us tangled up and keep us from pursuing it. I'm telling you, it's working too. Many of you, you haven't really pursued spiritual gifts in your life because of the fear of what people might think or what people might say. Amen. And so, here's the thing. He says, you, he, he says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. Because, you know, even a person that isn't necessarily filled with the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is Lord. But what he's trying to say is, is that God speaks His Word and His voice through the church. Now, Primarily, we get his, word, his, vo his voice from His Word, right? That's, where, that's the basis of it all. And we rely on it above everything else. And everything submits to the Word of God. Everything that comes out of my mouth is not 100% always pure Word of God. Amen? I say some weird stuff sometimes. I'm not perfect. I'm a flawed vessel. But the Word of God, on the other hand, it's perfect. So whatever I say, it has to come up under that. But at the same time, God chooses to use His church to, get to, to release His voice through us. And he says, when you speak by the Spirit of God, what you're doing is you begin to magnify Jesus. And anything that comes out of your mouth that is not magnifying Jesus, he's saying that's not the Spirit of God at work. Right? And so he begins to open this up, and then in verse 4 he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, sometimes people will say, Clay, what, what kind of church do you go to? What kind of church are you at? And, 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 and I'll say, that's ah, a good one. And they'll say, no, 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 you know what I mean. Come on now. Like, what, what kind of, what, what is it? Y'all Baptist? Y'all Pentecostal? What are you, right? And, and, and so, so I always tell them, I said, well, you know, we're non-denominational. But, but uh, actually, if people were to, to label us, they would label us Pentecostal or charismatic, right? Have y'all ever heard that word charismatic? Here's where it comes from. Right there where it says gifts, that word gifts is charisma, and the first part of that, charis, is actually the word in Greek for grace. Ma is gift. So literally the word is grace gift. But what charisma is, so when you say charismatic, that's all they're saying is that you are a people who operate and believe in the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. You're charismatic. But really what that means, if, if you were to define the term charisma, it is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. So, biblically, every single person in this room right now is charismatic. Believe that? Because the Holy Spirit enables you to, to do, to imparts a gift to you instantaneously to bring about edification in the life of others. It's not a weird thing. It's actually just the fact that God has given you a gift by His grace. That's simply what it means. And so he says, he says, concerning these spiritual gifts, brethren, and the word there in, the, in, in verse 1 is this word called pneumaticos. Anybody here own a pneumatic drill? Pneumatic tools. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's air-powered tools. Air-powered. So that's the word that he gets it from. And what he's saying is, he's saying concerning these gifts, brethren, he's saying concerning gifts that you can only move in if you allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in you. 
right? Concerning these gifts that you will only be able to move in if you're open to the Holy Spirit breathing upon you and impressing you and using you in this way. That's what he's saying. And, and it's important, you know, obviously that, that we understand that, that these things are instantaneous enablements of the Holy Spirit where he's moving upon us, he's breathing upon us for a specific purpose. And somebody said, well, you know, are the, are, are, are the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're going to go over, are those all of the gifts that are in the Bible? And no, no, they're not. There are three categories of gifts. The first is motiva- motivational gifts, and those are in Romans 12. Uh, those are things like giving, leadership, mercy, teaching, encouragement. Those things are gifts that God gives to a person, and it's just in you by nature. Some of you are just generous people by nature. You don't have to, like, feel, you don't have to get up and feel any kind of weird way. You're just generous by nature. Some of you can, can stand up, and, and you, can just, you can just teach, it's just built into you. It's hardwired into you. And it, it's, it's just in you. Some people, some, some of y'all are merciful. Like, like you, you'll just, you'll see the best in everybody and it's just hardwired into you. Those are those gifts in Romans 12. The second are manifestation gifts. Those are the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And those are what we're getting ready to go through, right? And, I, and I'll show you them in a minute. And then lastly, there are ministerial gifts. And those are in Ephesians 4. Those are apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. These five callings and offices that God has called people into. But here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, right? It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit, here are the manifestation gifts, is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, manifestation, it means to make manifest, to make visible or known what was hidden or unknown. Now, here's my personal belief in these manifestation gifts, is that they come as a reward from seeking and worshiping God in the Spirit because they're a gift. You can't earn it, but at the same time, you can't operate in them unless you are in the Spirit. And the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that those who come to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And what He wants to reward you with is a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, in Matthew 6, I love this because it was, it was really impacted my life early on. In Matthew 6, Jesus lists three things. He says, when you, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give, He said, pray or fast in the secret place where your Father is. And your Father who sees in the secret place will reward you openly. That word openly is the exact same word for manifestation. He's saying if you pray, if you fast, if you seek God in the secret place, what He's going to reward you with is an open manifestation of His presence and of Himself, and you're going to experience the reward of that weightiness of His presence in your life, of that gifting, that enablement to do something that you could never do before. So here's what I want to say. The reason spiritual gifts happen in public is because we seek Him in private. The reason spiritual gifts happen in public is because we seek Him in private. When I'm telling you, if this church right here became a body of believers that Monday through Saturday, they sought God with all of their heart, when we came in here on Sunday, it would be a powerful experience every time that we met because people wouldn't be looking to get filled up. People would be pouring out. And I'm telling you, there would be no person that came in here with a sickness that would not leave here at least somewhat better. Anybody amen me on this? Y'all believe, I believe this stuff. I believe this stuff. And I I believe that there's got to be something where God begins to put a fire in our heart where we say, okay, we're going after this thing. So 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, he wants to give us this manifestation for the profit of all, he says. And then he gives the list. He said, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different kind of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So here's what you're not going to say is, I have that gift. I'll tell you why you don't have that gift. Because the Holy Spirit has all those gifts and He chooses when and how it's going to be used in your life. At different times in my life, the Holy Spirit has used me in different gifts. That means I don't just get to wake up today and say, you know what, I think I'm going to operate in a gift of healing. 
No, he, gets, he chooses as he wills when that gift is going to manifest. And so I don't have any particular gift, but I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. He has all the gifts, and he can manifest if I will allow him at any time he wants to manifest any of these gifts as he wants individually as he wills. And he says he's going to do it as he wills individually. Now, here's what I will say is that people do grow in these gifts. People learn to be used by the Spirit more in one gift than another. Because oftentimes what you'll find is that, just like the Bible says, are all, do all have the gift of healing? Do all have uh, working of miracles? Do all speak with tongues? What he's saying is not everybody will learn to flow in all of these specific gifts. But for some people, there are some people that they have the gift of tongues and that's just what God primarily uses them in, Right? But here's the thing. Like I said, we don't go around saying... I heard one, people, one person say, you know, I, I think I have the gift of healing. I said, yeah. I, I, who, who you seen get healed? Well, nobody yet, but I'm pretty sure I have the gift. Like, if you think you have it, you need to go pray for somebody and test it. Amen? Don't just sit back and say you got it. Let's let, test the thing out. Let's see what's going on. Let's see if God's at work or not. So he distributes. Now, th- these three gifts can be divided into three categories. You put this in your notes. The first first set of gifts are called revelation gifts. They're revelation gifts. And what that means is that these gifts, these gifts are when there's some sort of divine knowledge that is imparted to me in a moment that I could not have known unless God by His Spirit revealed it to me in a moment of time. Right? So revelation gifts. The first one is the word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge is to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. Now, here's what I want to say. The Bible says that Jesus, He had the Spirit of God without measure. So He is the only person that operated in all of these gifts full on all the time. Right? He operated in all these gifts full on all the time. So, But we are the body of Christ, and so corporately we should be operating in all these gifts full on all the time. Anybody amen me on that? Because we're his body. Now, it doesn't mean one man does it, but corporately as a body, we should be operating in these gifts at some point. So Jesus moved in all these gifts. Now, one example of the word of knowledge, like you you see Jesus operating in this gift a lot because because what he did was, for example, one time, I think it was Philip and Nathaniel, and maybe it was Nathaniel that was sitting under the the fig tree. And Philip says, come and see, you know, this man. And when he he comes to Jesus, Jesus says, Nathaniel, indeed a man in whom is no guile. Before, Before you came over, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Well, this just blew Nathaniel's mind. He was like, how did you see me under the fig tree, bro? It was a word of knowledge. He had a word of knowledge. And, and then he was like, and, 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 and Jesus said to him, he said, huh, you're amazed because I said I saw you under the fig tree? He said, soon and very soon, you're going to see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the throne, from the throne of God. He's saying, you're going to see greater things than this, my man. And then, and then Jesus comes to the woman at the well and he said, hey, go call your husband. He, she said, man, I got no husband. He said, you're right, you don't have a husband because you, you've had five before and the one you're with now is not your husband. She said, I perceive that you're a prophet. Right? And what he was doing was he got a word of knowledge and somebody will say, well, no, that's Jesus. He's God. He knows everything. When Jesus became a man, he intentionally laid aside certain divine attributes. He never, ever ceased to be God. Do not get me wrong. Jesus always and is forever the eternal Word of God, which is God, which was with God forever and ever. He never ceased to be God, but He put on flesh and He set aside certain divine attributes like omniscience, like all-knowingness, because He even said this. He said, I do nothing except my Father say it to me. I do nothing of my own accord, He said. What He was saying is, I have become a man in order to be completely relying upon the Spirit in right relationship with the Father, so I can demonstrate to you what it's like to be a perfect human being in right relationship with the Father. I don't know anything supernatural unless the Spirit reveals it to me. That's what he was saying. And so he was operating in words of knowledge the same way that we can. Now, here's what's interesting. I got a, we got a buddy. I told him I was going to use this. His name's Mitchell Sweats, right? Anybody know Mitch? Somebody does. <laughs> He's the best guy in the world. So he, he sends me a message the other day, and he's like, man, I, something just happened, and I feel like probably it's destroyed my theology. And I said, well, thank God. You know, God tends to destroy our theology. Because let me tell you something. When you, just as soon as you think you've got God figured out, you've got another thing coming. 
He is always going to break down what you used to believe about Him because He's bigger than your finite mind. And He will purposely bring you into encounters where you are challenged. And the question is, is whether or not you'll be teachable or your pride will rebel. So Mitchell, he goes to this service on Friday night and he tells me, he's like, he's like now you know, man, I'm a Calvinist and I believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. I said, yeah. He, 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 and I, we still love one another, right? <laughs> so so he, t- he tells me this. And he said, well, well I, was at, I was at this service the other day. And he said, I'm standing there and my back, he said, I looked over at this person beside me. And when I did, he said, my back just really began to hurt really bad. And I thought, that's weird. So I just tried to not focus on it and let it go. And I was stretching out. He said, and then he said, I looked away for a minute and it kind of just lingered. And he said, I looked back over this person. And when I looked back over this person, he said, my back started to hurt even worse. He said it got worse. And he said it got so compelling, he said that I finally just went over to this lady in the middle of the service. And I was like, is there something I can, he said, is there something I can pray for you about? He's like, is, is your back hurting or anything like that? And she was like, yeah, it's hurting like right here. And he was like, well, can I pray for you? And so he prayed for her. The woman's back got healed, okay, Friday night in the service. He calls me up and he's like, do you, do you, do you think God is like trying to mess with me or something, man? I'm like, yeah, I think he probably is trying to mess with you. I said, I said Mitch, you're the first dude I ever known who didn't believe in spiritual gifts that God used in spiritual gifts. But, but here's, that's the beautiful thing about God is sometimes he'll just do something to mess with you. And, and what's so more awesome about this is, is we were in another service Saturday night and, and Richard, Richard was sitting behind me and these, these women were sitting behind Richard and they started talking about Mitchell. And they were like, yeah, Mitchell, that's that guy that came in there and prayed for so-and-so and her back got healed. So, so I mean, you know what I'm saying? God was stirring. He was stirring in people's hearts. There, when gifts of the Spirit really happen, you know what happens? People get excited. They don't get freaked out. They don't get, they get excited because they're like, okay, God is moving now. Okay, like the, the God that we talk about and the God we have in our mind, like he's actually in our midst doing something now. But what, did, what happened? Mitchell got a word of knowledge. He could not have known that that woman's back was hurting, but he had a manifestation in his back where he felt that pain, and he knew, okay, God's leading me to speak to this woman. He went and did it. He obeyed. That's a big thing. You've got to take a risk. You've got to step out, and you've got to obey. We were, we were in here praying because I'm going to tell you, the best place for the, for the gifts to happen is not necessarily even in church. Anybody amen me on that? They're way more powerful outside of this church. I've seen far more people healed outside the church than I've seen healed in the church. There's something about God, how he equips us, and he doesn't want it all to happen here. He wants it happening out there. First person I ever saw God healed was Barb over there. Amen. Barb still tell you. I'm glad. You know what? Yeah, amen. Amen. But here's the thing. I'm so glad that, that I, Barb, I think God sent me to this church just so you could be a constant reminder to me that he still heals. Yeah, amen. So the, fir- the first time I ever saw somebody healed instantly, we were, we, were at, we were working together, me and Barb, and I, just, I was reading about this stuff, praying and fasting. I was like, God, I want to see somebody healed. I heard Barb out there saying she had torn rotator cuff, so I, I, I took a step of faith. I didn't feel anything. I was scared, but I went out and I prayed for her arm, and boom. God did it. God did it, right? He does it through you. You say, oh, you're taking glory. No, I'm, not ta- I'm giving the glory to God. He uses his people. When he uses his people, it brings him glory. It's not us that do it. It's he that does it through us. And we have to be willing to set aside our false humility to allow God to use us. Amen? There have been a lot of people I prayed for and nothing happened. I felt really weird after. But just because that happens doesn't mean I'm going to quit doing it. Because my experience is not truth. The Word of God is truth. And just because I failed doesn't mean God failed, doesn't mean He's still, well, God just decided to quit healing, I guess. No. He's still at work. He's still doing these things. Let's move on to the second one. The second one is the Word of Wisdom. And this is a divine answer or solution for a particular event. You know, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals uh, this blind man. And the Pharisees come out to him and we say, hey, you know, how did this man heal you? We know that he's a sinner. And he said, whether a sinner, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. What I know is I was blind and now I see. And they begin to press him and, and, and say these certain things to him. And, and while he's talking to him, 
While he's talking to him, they say to him, well, you know, this man's a sinner. He's not from God. And he said, have you ever heard in your life of, of a man being blind and then seeing? He said, here's what we know. He said, if this man was not from God, he could not have done what he's just done. God gave him a word of wisdom in the moment for that. Now, imagine, because there, there are times, many of you, even when you raised your hand this morning, you had obstacles that were in place. Now, don't you think it would be a blessing for somebody to come up to you and be able to give you a word of wisdom for the situation that you're in, and they may not even know exactly what you're going through. Listen, like, well, like I said, we were in here praying the other night. We were praying for Joel, and uh, Joel, Joel was sitting down here, and he, he's like, I got something going on, but I don't want to tell you all. Just see what God gives you. We like to, we like to take risks like that, right? Because it's fun. And God speaks. And if God speaks, everybody leaves pumped. Amen? So, 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 we, so we set Joel down, and we start to pray for him, and, People are going around and, and just giving impressions of, of what they felt like God was saying. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is so spot on. He starts writing it down. And then, of course, he tell us, tells us what he's going through. And then it was the most awesome thing, Ty Finn. Can I tell this, Ty? So Ty, Ty, Ty was just sitting here in the back. and Because and, this is the thing. You have to learn to take a risk. Let me tell you something. When you operate in spiritual gifts, sometimes everything's not going to go perfectly. Because we're human, and, and people are so vindictive, and anytime somebody messes up, they give them a hard time. Look, people have given me wrong words before, and I'll just be like, and I've probably given other people wrong words before. But you, there has to be grace to say, look, I don't really know if this is God or not. This is what Ty did. He said, look, this is probably going to sound stupid, but I'm going to say this anyway. And, and then he said, he said, I just saw like a, a barber shop pole, and he, said, and he said, is there anybody in your family or something like that that's a barber? And Joe looked at him and said, my dad was a barber for 44 years. But, but and, you, and that may seem simple, but what it just did was confirm that God is speaking to us. There's no way he could have known that on his own. And so now every word that was given to Joel was confirmed because of supernatural knowledge that he could not have known on his own. Now, that, those are simple things, but what happens when we begin to know how to steward those gifts and we begin to actually see things that are happening and see things that are going on and we can speak into people's lives and impart to them a word of wisdom for a situation that all of a sudden sets them free and they say, okay, God's with me. I know what to do now. Amen? The, 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 the third one here in, this, in the Revelation gifts are discerning of spirits. And this is the ability to discern whether the Spirit of God, the human spirit, or a specific demonic spirit is at work. I told you earlier in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is, is preaching in this particular place. And this woman begins to follow him around. And as she's following him around, she says, These men are men of the Most High God that have come to show you the way of salvation. Now, if, if, if somebody did that, I'd be like, yeah, come on, tell them about it. Because that's good. She was telling the truth, wasn't she? But see, what was going on was actually this woman was, was a witch. She operated under the spirit of divination. Paul discerned that. He was annoyed by it. He turns around finally and he says to the spirit, come out in the name of Jesus Christ. And that demonic spirit left her because he didn't want a witch affirming his ministry. You know what that takes? It takes discernment. And not just any kind of discernment, discerning of spirits. Because I tell you what a lot of people do. A lot of people will say, you know what, I've got discernment. And a lot of people do have discernment. And we should always exercise discernment. But what I've noticed is a lot of people who say they have discernment, really what they have is a gift of criticism. Anybody amen me on that? And then what they want to do is they want to validate the fact that they feel like their opinions are God's opinions. And then so they just say, but I've got discernment. If you've got discernment and it's vindictive and it's critical and it's judgmental and it tears people down, you don't have discernment. You've got criticism, my friend. Discernment will come in order for the betterment of another person because you're discerning the evil that is at work in their life and you come to them in love to correct that evil. You come in them in love to, to drive that evil out. I, so many times I've been ministering with Donald and we've been ministering to people who are really dealing with demonic oppression. And I'm not even kidding you. He'll say things out of his mouth that he doesn't even mean to say, and it will expose stuff. Like he's just talking. And he'll say things, and it will expose the spirit that is, that is, that's at work, and, then, and, then, and God will bring greater freedom in a person's life. See, discerning of... And that's pretty awesome, because discerning of spirits is operating in him, and he's not even trying. Like he doesn't have to say, hold on, let me see if I can hear from God. He just starts to speak and it flows through him because he's yielded. 
He's yielded to the Spirit, discerning of spirits. Now, sometimes what you all need, sometimes we need to know when a spirit is at work, whether or not it's a human spirit, the Holy Spirit, or a demonic spirit, a specific demonic spirit, right? Now, sometimes people look to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and really what they're operating is is the flesh. It's just their human spirit trying to muster up stuff. And sometimes they might even be operating in a demonic spirit, and if that's going on, guess what? Somebody needs to know. And the Holy Spirit will let somebody know and give them that gift to discern. But listen, what if there's a spirit coming at your marriage? What if there's a spirit coming at your family and you need to know what it is so you can attack it in prayer and pray against it and bind that thing? Amen? We need those gifts. And those, it's just a revelation in the moment of time. Now, secondly, the, the second grouping is vocal gifts. And these gifts are prophecy, tongues, or interpretation of tongues. Now, prophecy is, it's a message of encouragement from God for a person. And prophecy is not always like, we we think of prophecy as foretelling. Like you're telling the future and you're saying, well, you know, 30 days from now, this and this is going to happen. And sometimes it is that. But, But New Testament biblical prophecy is essentially just a word from God that encourages another person and nothing really more than that. And sometimes, I'm telling you, there have been gifts of prophecy in my life just where people have come and spoken to me and given me a word of encouragement at the right time that made the world of difference. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says, A man who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. That means he builds up, he encourages, and he comforts person, a, a person by the word that he's saying. So when we set Joel down here the other day and people begin to encourage him, they begin to have certain ideas or scriptures or images that they saw and they were speaking encouragement and comfort to him saying, we believe this is what God is saying for you to do in this situation. And man, it was encouraging to him. Now, but because that fear and that worry that was upon him, all of a sudden it was lifted because he was comforted because he knew that God was speaking to him about this specific, specific thing. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14.31, it says you may all prophesy so that all may learn and be encouraged. Now, here's what he's saying is that every believer in this room has the ability to operate in the gift of prophecy if, the Lord, if they will allow the Lord to use them in that gift. This is why Moses said, would to, would to God that all of his people were prophets. If you will allow, you may all prophesy one by one, he says. Now, now, what that's saying is, is that like when we got around in this circle, and like I said, the best places to do it is in a small group a lot of times to practice that because you got so many people in church on a Sunday morning, it's a little bit more difficult. But when they operated in the gifts of the Spirit, you know where they were meeting? They were meeting in house churches, in small groups. And so they met, and, 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 and one by one, people would, they would say something, and what? It would cause learning, and it would cause encouragement. They were hearing from God. They were hearing from God on what they thought would bring edification and building up. Now, here's what I say. Every believer is called to function in the prophetic. That does not mean every believer is a prophet. Don't go around saying you're a prophet. That would just be weird. If you're a prophet, we'll all find out about it before long. Okay? You don't have to tell nobody. But here's what we'll say is that not Not all are prophets, but all have been called to the prophetic. But I want to say that 5% of the prophetic is actually what happens in church. And here's what I mean by that. When I I work out here at at Best Blessing, for example, I mean every single day these, these women have believed so many lies that Satan has told them. And when, you, when we live in a world where there are nothing but lies all day, every day, we're hearing junk all the time. All these lies. There has to be somebody that can look at a human being and see God's perspective on their life. And that's what you're called to. You're called to see beyond the current situation. You're called to see God's perspective on their life. And you're called to speak into that darkness and bring encouragement and bring life and bring hope. And here's the thing, though. When you speak into a a person's life under the anointing of the Spirit of God and you speak what God's Word is saying in that moment, the atmosphere changes. Everything begins to change. How they see themselves begin to change. And all of a sudden, the shackles and the lies that have been upon their their life, all of a sudden, they break off, and it's like a breath of fresh air that begins to hit them. Man, you you cannot put a price on the gift of the prophetic that is at work in a person's life in order to bring that 
And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to release those words so that people can be encouraged. Now, in verse 29, 14, 29, it says, Let two or three speak and another judge. Now, why it says that is because, because we're not going to take everything that everybody says is 100% from God. Amen? Y'all ever had some people say some real weird stuff to you? I got my buddy Donnie, my buddy Donnie Stevens. He, I used to go to church with him. And he said one time he was in church and this woman was going down the aisle. She was going, ta, 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 ta. Yeah, I know y'all ain't going to laugh at that, but I still think it's funny. And she did that, and then she finally come up to the, the, the pew behind him and, and, and went to him and went, Woo, there is trouble in thy marriage. And at this point, he wasn't married. And one, that wouldn't have been a very encouraging word either. So he says, I think you got the wrong pew. So, so she, she messed up a little bit. Now, it's okay to mess up, but it's not okay to be crazy. <laughs> Amen. But it's, it's when stuff like that happens, when stuff like that happens, this is the reason in 1 Thessalonians 5.20 that it says, despise not prophecies. Because sometimes what has happened is people have done weird stuff in the name of spiritual gifts and it causes people to despise prophecies and spiritual gifts and they don't want any of it. Now what we have to learn to do is steward it correctly and properly and flow in it powerfully and judge whether or not this is of God or not. And then it says this, because it says despise not prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. If somebody comes up and gives you a word, don't take it as God. Listen, I went to a church where three different girls were prophesied to that they were going to marry me. Now that right there is enough to make you say, boys, I think we're going to throw this prophecy stuff out. You know what I'm talking about? Because none of them were Andrea. So there's a lot of weird out there, but I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because I've seen just as much good as I have weird, and the good in my life has far outweighed the bad. And so we want to seek the good. But here's the other thing I want to say. Proverbs 14.4. I love this verse. Can you throw Proverbs? Where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. I'm going to tell you something. We could have a church service where we plan everything out perfectly and we make sure we just say, look, spiritual gifts aren't going to happen. Nobody's going to speak in tongues. Nothing weird's going to happen. And you know what? We could keep it very clean. We could keep it as clean as you want it. But much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Problem is, every now and then that ox is going to take a you-know-what. And you're going to have to clean it up. So when people operate in the gifts of the Spirit, every now and then it's going to get a little bit messy. But if we're going to pursue God and seek God and experience all that God has, guess what? we got to take a risk every now and then and say, you know what, folks, we messed up, okay? But guess what? God corrected us. God loves us. Not everybody gets it perfect all the time. The thing that scares me the most is when people would give weird prophetic words like that and then nobody would correct it. Somebody got to step in and judge that stuff. Somebody got to step in and correct that and say, look, you, y'all heard this. This ain't right. We're going to keep this. We're going to throw away that because that wasn't from God. So if you're going to do it, we got to be under that protection. Amen? Now, tongues and interpretation, I got, I got to go quickly here. But tongues and interpretation, I want to be very brief on that. I've got, I've got it listed for you. But tongues is, is a message from God unknown to the person through whom the message comes. And interpretation of tongues is understanding and expressing the thought or the intent of the message in tongues. So let me tell you this. When, when it's talking about tongues and interpretation of co- tongues as a gift, it's when you are gathered in some sort of a setting with, with other believers and the manifestation comes on a person. They feel the manifestation of God. And they know they're to give a message in tongues, so they give it, they stop, and then another person, the Spirit of God is upon them, and they have an interpretation. Now, that happens here uh, on occasion. So some of y'all have seen that happen. And, and it comes forth. Now, let me tell you this, because a lot of people say, well, that couldn't have been right, because that person spoke in tongues way longer than the interpretation was. And the tr- but here's the thing. It's not a translation. It is not a word-for-word translation. And matter of fact, the Bible actually says that the Spirit is subject to the prophets. That means that even when you prophesy or you speak in tongues or whatever you do, you are completely under control and you can actually choose when you do it. You don't just, oh, I got overtook, let me let loose. That doesn't happen. The Spirit is subject to the prophets. That means God begins to come upon me and I know 
but I get to choose when I release it. And not only that, because it is subject to me, it's flowing through my vessel. That, that means that my voice doesn't change and become the voice of God. It's flowing through me. It's subject to me and my failures and my weaknesses. And so guess what? The Spirit of God could come upon me and another person to give the same word of prophecy. And the essence of the word would come out the same. But it would sound differently because we're different people. We might even use different words, but we'd be getting the same message across. It's like this. You know, if me and Andrea go somewhere, we go on vacation and we come back, and you ask me how it went, you know what I'm going to say? It was good. If you ask Andrea how it went, you know what she's going to say? Well, you know, it was awesome because the first thing we did when we got down there, like she's going to go through this whole big long thing. So some people, when they interpret, they got a little bit more to say. And some people, when they interpret, they just ain't going to say as much. But they're going to get the same message across. It's an interpretation, not a translation. Amen? All right, last one, power gifts. Power gifts. Pray for me, too, that I can learn to preach shorter. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> At least we only got one service a week, right? Power gifts, faith, healing, and miracles. So I, when we're talking about power gifts, you, you know that the Bible talks about operating and ministering in both power and authority. These two things. Authority is your legal right based on what Christ has purchased for you to operate as Christ, as His ambassador. And for example, I, I, I honestly believe, I believe, that, I believe that whenever Barb got healed, my personal opinion, that a gift of, the, a gift of healing was not at work. Because I, I, I don't know, I, usually when a, when a gift is at work, there's some kind of, fe- I don't know. For me, I feel something. I mean, the other day, we were... We were Justin was going to pray for somebody. His hands got hot, like physically hot. There was a manifestation there. He just knew, okay, i got to lay these on somebody and pray for them. And I feel like it's that person, you know. So, I mean, there's just ways it happens. But but, but for Barb, it was just like I knew that Jesus had purchased for healing, and I was going to pray in authority. And when I prayed, I didn't pray, Father, you know the pain she's been through, and, and you know what's going on. If you would, if it be your will, Stretch your hand and heal her. I didn't say that. I said, I command these ligaments and these tendons and this rotator cuff to be healed now in Jesus' name. What was I doing? I was operating under the authority that Christ has given me as his ambassador. You don't see people in the New Testament ever saying, begging God for healing. Matter of fact, they say, rise up on your feet and walk. They make a declaration. They pray in authority. They speak based on the fact that they know that by His stripes they already were healed. So when you pray for healing for somebody, you can ask for God for healing. Yes, you can ask. But also, at some point, you need to step into authority and speak to the, speak to the infirmity, speak to the sickness, speak to the disease, and tell that thing to go. And tell your body and tell that body to be healed. Operate in authority. But also, see, the, the power, the gift, the gift that's at work, it comes with power as well. And there are times when the power of God is present. It can be felt. So sometimes when people get healed, they'll physically feel healing taking place. Now, sometimes they get healed. I don't know if Barb felt anything or not. You did feel something? Okay, warm sensation. So there, may be, so there was some power at work there. She had a warm sensation in her shoulder because what? Power was at work. But I've prayed for people who didn't feel anything, and then they ended up finding out that they were healed. So we operate in both power and authority. But the first gift is faith, right? And faith is a supernatural impartation of belief and confidence in God for a specific situation. In Acts 14, it's my favorite instance of this, Paul is preaching the Word like I am right now, and there's a crippled man that had been crippled from his youth. Now notice this. Paul comes in, and he doesn't heal this man instantly, right? He comes in, and he preaches first. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, okay, that dude over there, he's lame. And then all of a sudden it says, as he's preaching, Paul perceives in his spirit that this man has faith to be healed. And as soon as he perceives that, that he has faith, Paul also has faith. And out of that gift of faith, what does he do? He, he only says this. He doesn't pray. He doesn't go over and lay hands on him. He looks at the man and says, stand up on your feet and walk. He didn't even say in the name of Jesus. He just said it. He made a faith declaration. And immediately that man's ankle bones were strengthened. 
came into place, his legs were strengthened, and he stood up and he started walking. That's amazing. So the gift of faith is when I have divine confidence to believe God in this situ- any situation. There are some situations, even the ones y'all lifted your hand for, you need a gift of faith where you know, okay, God is coming through in this place, in this time. I heard somebody say one time that the gift of faith never goes unanswered. That's good, isn't it? If you got faith like that, that gift of faith, that supernatural impartation. You remember Joshua in the Old Testament, he needed to fight the battle a little bit longer. So dude just looked at the sun and said, sun, stand still. He didn't even say the right thing because he should have said, earth, stop rotating. But he said, sun, stand still. That thing ain't moving. But nevertheless, God answered his prayer, boom, stopped the earth from rotating, and they had another 24 hours to fight the battle. You know what that is? That's a gift of faith. To speak something and believe that when you speak, it's going to happen. Amen? The next gift is the gifts, the gift, and it's plural, the gifts of healings. And I find it interesting because I, I don't know why, but after Barb's rotator cuff got healed, I actually saw some other rotator cuffs got, get healed. But you know what? There's a lot of things I ain't never seen healed. I've prayed for people with multiple sclerosis and different things, and nothing happened. Let me tell you this one good story, though. There's a woman that, uh, man, had a tough life. She's in her mid-30s. I was talking to her the other day. And so whew, this guy had abused her, had, had shot her up with needles, <clears throat> got her hooked to drugs, and just all kinds of crazy stuff had happened in her life. And she had contracted hepatitis A, B, and C. And her liver was damaged to the point where it was about to completely shut down. This woman received prayer. She went back to the doctor. She no longer had hepatitis A, B, or C. And her liver was functioning at 100%. I mean, God, God is still doing things. My question to you is, are you willing to step out, take a risk, and possibility of looking real dumb, Amen. I love looking dumb for Jesus. And do it and just begin to, and, and begin to pursue breakthrough in these things. And we need breakthrough in healing, don't we? Gifts of healings are supernatural endowments of healing and divine health. And I believe this is something that we have got to seek more breakthrough in. I'm telling you, we are living below the level of what we need to see as far as healing comes. There are people... Let me tell you something. Besides being saved, the se- I believe the second most important thing in the world is that we have health. Because you can't do nothing without it. And it lays you up, man, and, and we, we need health. We need to make wise decisions, obviously, about our health. But, man, God has paid for healing. There's sometimes people get sick and broke down, and it's not even necessarily anything that they've done. And we need to see the power of God to, to bring healing. And, and, and so the last one is working of miracles. And that is divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. You know, Jesus did some really weird things. He walked on the water. He calmed the storms. But what I'll say about miracles is they're different from healing in the fact that it is a dramatic, instantaneous alteration of what you knew, okay, this was impossible. How many of y'all in here have y'all ever seen a miracle? Look here. Look here. Look here. So, so how are we going to say God don't do miracles anymore? He's still at work. And our thing is this. Here's what I want to say this last little bit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, y'all can come to the music. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, it says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he begins to talk about love. Now, love is a more excellent way, but it's not more excellent than the gifts. It's more excellent than desiring the gifts. Now, and let me put it to you like this. Somebody say, well, you know, gifts are important, but we, we, we focus more on the fruits. Guess what? We're going to talk about fruits next week. But the point being is, if I look down on the ground and I see a $100 bill and I see a $5 bill, which one am I going to pick up? I'm going to pick up both of them. If he, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say, well, the 100 is more important, so I'm going to leave the five there and just, and just pick up the 100 now, fruit, absolutely, love is more important than anything. But you know that Jesus demonstrated His love to people by setting them free? He didn't just come up to them and put His arm around and say, you know what, I know you're in pain, but I love you. And sometimes we need to do that 
But I'm telling you what else we need to do as Christians is believe in the power of God and be able to offer a person a prayer of faith that is going to set them free from the bondage, from the addiction, from the sickness, from the disease that they're suffering. It should be a normal thing in the Christian life to love somebody enough to pray for their healing and not to say, well, I love you, but you know, God, I don't know if he does that or not. I don't know if it's his will. Jesus never did that. I'm going to tell you something. We're going to pray for people sometimes and nothing is going to happen. We're going to pray for people sometimes and they're not going to get healed. But we will not let that define what we believe. We will not let our experience or our lack of experience stop us from pursuing God. And see, the Bible says, next verse, 14.1, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pursue love the same way Jesus loved people. And he loved people so much he came to set them free, he came to heal them. So pursue love first. He said, but desire spiritual gifts. In the other place, he said, earnestly desire. And here's what I personally personally believe, but God's different than my beliefs because obviously I don't know if Mitchell was desiring it or not and it just happened to him. But what I've experienced in my life is there's a direct correlation between me seeking God and asking God and desiring spiritual gifts and them actually happening in my life. When I'm careless and I say, well, it'll happen if God wants it to happen, guess what happens? Nothing. But when I begin to burn in my heart and I begin to say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. Jesus, I want to be filled with your spirit. And I'm, a- I'm asking you, God, to give us, give this church, give your people the gifts of the spirit. Let us see people healed. Let us see people set free. Stretch forth your hand to do miracles in our midst. And all of a sudden, when I begin to pray, guess what? Stuff starts happening on occasion. And I'm just believing that. What if, what if a body, an entire group of people said, you know what? Let's go after this. Let's quit playing church. And let's really go after what God has for us as individuals. Let's secretly get alone in our private place and begin to say, God, use me in the gifts of the Spirit. God, use me in what you want to use me in. See, Jesus manifested these gifts out of love for His people. And I'm going to say this, and and I'm done. If our primary motive for the gifts is not love, what we will ultimately do will probably be damaging. And sometimes people get so caught up in the gifts that they get weird. And they start doing things just because they want to look, I'm, I'm, I'm in a gift. Who cares? If it doesn't bring a blessing and healing and freedom to somebody's life, it was pointless. Because the gifts are never for you to get attention. The gifts are because we love people so much that we want to see God set them free and deliver them. But God's saying, I want you to earnestly desire them. I want you to covet the gifts. I want you to boil over with a direct intention to go after the gifts and go after love. If you'll go after those things, if you'll go after the love of God, you'll go after the power of God, God's going to start to use you in a way you never dreamed. You believe that? Stand your feet with me.